0: Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we are chatting with one of my favorite Bible teachers, Nancy Guthrie, about our yearning for Christ's return and what's going to happen when he comes back. Nancy Guthrie teaches the Bible at conferences around the country and internationally, including her Biblical Theology Workshop for Women, which we would encourage you to check out. She is the author of numerous books, the host of the Help Me Teach the Bible podcast at the Gospel Coalition, and she and her husband host respite retreats for couples who have faced the death of a child. Nancy Guthrie, welcome back to the Journey Women podcast. Oh, man, it's really great to be with you, Hunter. Thank you for having me. I could not think of a better person to talk about the end times, the end things, the new heavens and the new earth, a favorite topic, (laughs) yearning for Christ's return. I've learned so much from you in this capacity. Like, it's just been such a blessing to me to have been the recipient of what you are learning as you are studying these things in your own personal study that really started for me when I was introduced to your book, Even Better Than Eden, way back in twenty. 2018 when it was published, and we had a conversation on Journey Women about that. But I've heard that you are continuing your study, Nancy, and that you are still looking into these things as you've been studying Revelation because you're getting ready to publish a study through Crossway on Revelation. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it will come out in May of 2022. It's called Revelation Experiencing the Promise of the book of Revelation, because Revelation begins and ends with a promise. uh, Blessed are those who read this book and those who hear and keep what is written in it. And so if we're going to talk about the new heavens and the new earth, I mean, that is the essence of that blessing. And Revelation, I think, helps to put a little bit of meat on the bones of that to help us get a sense of what we're anticipating.
0: Absolutely. And that's been really top of mind for me. I was able to share with you on a personal level because I've lost my dad in recent months and my grandmother is currently on hospice. And so, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the things that you shared with me two years ago, really pressing into the hope of heaven. And during this time, I've really clung to that truth that Christ has come, especially in the season of Advent and Christ is coming again. So, what is this hope that we're clinging to when we're praying, come Lord Jesus? Mm-hmm. What an
1: important question. What is the hope that we're holding on to? You know, actually, my first book was called Holding On to Hope. But I have to tell you something, Hunter, and that is that I, I'm not sure, I, even when I wrote that book, had a at least not as clear of a sense of what that hope really is as I have now, because when the Bible talks about hope, it always talks about hope in terms of resurrection. Yeah. Think about uh, first Peter, you know, born again to a living hope by the resurrection of the dead. And just throughout the scriptures, whenever it talks about hope, if you look at it closely, it's always talking about resurrection. I think that makes a difference as we think about hope because, well, first of all, I think in most of our parlance, when we talk about hope, it's kind of that cross your fingers, not sure if it's going to happen, but ooh, really hope it happens, right? And generally what we're hoping for when we use that term is we're hoping for what we think the best outcome will be. And when we say we're hoping for it, we're saying, I don't have any sense of confidence that that's going to happen, but this is the thing. And a lot of times, like we're putting our faith in faith. Like, you know, if I hope hard enough, I can almost force God's hand, I can make this thing happen, right? The the sheer force of my faith or hope is going to cause it to happen. And that's just nothing like what the Bible presents us as biblical hope. So what the Bible presents us, as I said, number one, it's resurrection hope. Uh And this hope is not centered on circumstances. It's centered on a person, the living person of Jesus Christ. So to hold on to hope is not to have some kind of unclear, yet maybe vigorous anticipation of a certain outcome in our circumstances. Holding on hope is becoming joined to Jesus Christ by faith and believing that because we are joined to him. His death was our death and his life is our life. And that we can anticipate experiencing resurrection in the day to come and life with him eternal. So that's one aspect of hope. I think the other thing that comes to mind as you talk about that is, and I think in my earlier writings, hope was centered on heaven. And going to heaven when we die. For most of my life, if you would ask me, how do I define the Christian life? If I'd been forced to boil it down, I would have said, okay, so I make a decision for Christ, then I try really hard to live for Him, and then when I die, I go to heaven. Yeah. And all of that's true. But it just isn't the whole picture. Mm-hmm. It's so diminished from what actually the Bible presents to us. So now if you ask me, what's the Christian life all about? I would say to you, before the foundations of the world, God chose me in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. And that holy and blameless before him, that's in my eternal future. He's at work now in me. So so like even before, he, he knew where this was headed. And that when I was born, He revealed himself to me. He initiated. uh, He came to me. He drew me to himself. And I became joined to Christ by faith. And the aim of my life is for him to work in my life by his spirit, through his word, to sanctify me and prepare me. And the day is going to come when I'm going to die. And my body is going to go in a grave. And my spirit or soul is going to go to be with Christ. And wherever Christ is, that's heaven. And, you know, this is what Paul talks about when he says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. So we see at death, there is this separation. Body goes in the ground. My body's going to go in the ground and it's going to turn back into dust over time, my soul or spirit is going to go to be with Christ. Now, here's here's the thing, Hunter. We want the Bible to tell us a whole lot more.
0: Yeah, totally. We want to know, like, where exactly is that? <laughs> what are we going to be doing? Right? All of this, what are we going to be doing? What's
1: our life? And it does tell us some important things. I mean, the most important thing is with Christ. With Christ. Which, you know, we kind of think, well, I mean, I, I think for a lot of people that, Maybe it reveals some of our lack of love for Christ that we just kind of go, well, well, we kind of take that for granted. But, you know, really, I wanted more than that. But that's an amazing thing, right? To be with Christ. The Bible tells us that to be with Christ is not simply better, but it is better by far. Mm. It tells us in Hebrews that all those who gathered around the throne, those are the souls of those who have been made perfect. So we know that when we're in heaven, you know, we're going to be purified to be in his presence. But we also know that we're not going to spend all eternity in a soul with no body existence. I mean, that's just not the end of the story. And yet that's what we talk about most. My husband's a big Delta guy, you know, so if you're a Delta person, anywhere you go, you have to go through Atlanta. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were going to Cancun, Mexico for this conference. And so, you know, when people said, where are you going? Well, we're going to Cancun. I mean, we were not spending a lot of time talking about what we were going to do in Atlanta. In that temporary stopover on the way, right? We weren't talking about the restaurants at the airport or what we were going to do with that time. Right. We were focused on
0: the end destination.
1: And so a lot of the talk that we have about heaven, what are we going to do there? What's it going to be like? It's like focusing on Atlanta instead of Cancun. Yeah. When the Bible keeps wanting to focus us on our final destination, mm. which is the new heavens and the new earth. I didn't finish my story. So my body's in the ground, it's becoming dust, right? And my soul or spirit is with Christ. And then Second Thessalonians says that with a trumpet sound and the call of the archangel that the Lord is going to descend and those who have died in Christ will come with him. That's going to be me. And that Jesus is going to call to that dust that my body has become in the ground. And I don't completely understand it, but I have read in the Bible about how God breathed life into this dust from which he created Adam And I believe that once again, Jesus upon his return can breathe his life into the dust of my body and it is going to be raised. I don't know a lot about what that body is going to be like, but here's the main thing I know. It's going to be like a body like Jesus has. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I thought for most of my life about the fact that there is one resurrected glorified human in heaven. Jesus didn't forsake his humanity when he went to heaven. There is right now one risen, glorified human being, but he's not the last. This is why Paul calls him the first fruits, right, of of the resurrection or of the creation. Because when he comes back, he's going to call to my body. He's going to give me this new glorious body that can never die, is never going to get sick, that bears his glorious image, according to Philippians 1, and... I'm going to be reunited, body and soul once again. I'm not going to live forever a bodiless existence. I'm going to be body and soul in a glorified body that is fit for living forever on a glorified, resurrected earth. Now, I can't imagine that either. I have lots of questions about that, actually. <laughs> but I believe it's true. Hmm. And so this is the, this is where my life finds meaning. And this is getting back to your original question what does it mean to have hope? It means, yes, I'm going to go to be in the presence of Christ when I die, and that all I love who are in Christ, I can rest knowing that they are at peace in the presence of Christ. But thats it's just not the end of the story. What's even better than that is I really believe that the day is going to come when Christ is going to return to this earth and all who are in Christ are going to be resurrected. The word is helping me set my hope on that day Mm. and that eternal existence in the new creation. That's what's been on God's heart and in his mind and in his plan ever since he put Adam and Eve in Eden. And if that's where the story of this world is headed, good grief, I don't want to settle for anything less than that. That's where I want to set my hope. That's what I want to look forward to.
0: You're speaking right to my heart, and I'm just so grateful. I know you're doing the same for so many of the listeners who are really walking through hard things on this side of eternity, and, you know, we're yearning for that day and leaning in, particularly with this season of Advent, and I've often heard it referred to as the season of the already and the not yet. Like, we know the hope that we have, and yet we're not quite there. So biblically speaking, can you kind of unpack that phrase that we often hear when we're talking? about the reality of life on this side of eternity, the already and the not yet. Like, what does that actually mean?
1: Maybe the reason we struggle with it is we don't have this sense of where the story is headed. So once we've got that, and let's just call that the new creation, all things restored, new creation, it's it's the creation, except made new, not God's going to do away with the old creation and make a new one, but the old creation made new. I think the verse that helps me with that most is the NIV translation of 2 Corinthians 5.17. So some translations say, you know, all who are in Christ are a new creation. The NIV says, for those who are in Christ, the new creation has come. And the reason I like that is it helps us understand, I think, exactly what you're talking about in terms of the already and not yet. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. Think about the new creation, what we've been talking about, this future hope. But if you're in Christ, that new creation is not solely reserved for the future. It's breaking into the here and now, our already, we might say, right? And so where, how is it breaking in? In the interior of our lives. You and I were born spiritually dead, spiritually dead, no hope, until this happened, until we became joined to Christ by faith and the new creation did its work in the interior of our lives, bringing new life. It made what was dead alive. And so it's begun in the interior of our lives. This is the already, but we're awaiting the not yet because that newness that's beginning in us right now that's going to be the essence of the future, not only for us, for us, our body, our soul, our mind, our heart, our emotions. I mean, it's almost too good to anticipate, but in fact, all of creation is going to be this new. Another verse I think that helps us with this is where Paul says, I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 4, where he's he's talking about... These light and momentary, remember how he talks about this? These light and momentary difficulties are trials. They are generating for us a weight of glory. Right. And he says, though we're wasting away on the outside, on the inside, he's making us new. That's another picture that helps me with that. So yes, our bodies age. Now, you haven't gotten to this point yet, Hunter, but it's I don't coming. know. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. It is coming. I won't tell you about all of the appointments I've had this week to fight the wasting away, right? Of the <laughs> that sure enough comes. That's just a fact of life. That's why I love this uh, picture Paul gives us there, but on the inside... He's making us new. How is that happening? That new creation future is beginning its work in the present. Mm. And, you know, it's working its way through my emotions and through my ethics and through my thinking. And through my acting and through, you know, all these aspects of who I am so that hopefully over the course of my life, my life is reflecting more and more of the truth and beauty and glory and righteousness Mm -hmm. that's going to completely define me in the new creation. Praise God. But it's beginning now.
0: Well, talk to me a little bit about how that takes place in suffering, because Nancy, I just hope, I wish everybody knew your particular story and what you've walked through, the hardships that you've I seen. I feel on like this I've time. been talking about it so long, everybody does know. Maybe they do, but I would imagine that a good portion of our listeners are not familiar with your story, and also, yeah. I know that many of them are like me, navigating various degrees of suffering. And so how does that hope of what God is doing in us day by day as we navigate the long, arduous road of suffering on this side of eternity, Mm -hmm. how does that hope speak to us, particularly in seasons of hardship?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the challenge of suffering and grief is to— Keep confronting the inner voice inside us with the truth, right? You've got this inner voice and it says, You'll never be happy again. This inner voice, This was not right. This is unfair. I can't bear it. You know, just all of those things inside us uh, because we're hurting deeply. And so we constantly need the scripture to be like talking back to it. Because as people, we can just listen to our inner voice and listen to the voice of the culture, or we can listen to this word that God has given to us and let it confront and challenge and correct those voices. Yes. So in in suffering, this this is why we need the word. Yes. And this is why we need the spirit applying the word to those thoughts and deeply held opinions and fears and sorrows. And so we just, we bring them to him and we ask him to, you know, show us how to think rightly about these things. And, you know, the thing about that, like, as I, as I think about you, Hunter, you know, week by week, let's say, you know, you go to church and you were doing okay, but then you got there and you started singing. I mean, it's the songs, right? The songs that really get you in the midst of grief. Yeah. Because they contain these truths, these truths about heaven Or the songs call upon you to say things to God that you're not even really sure you believe in that moment or that you feel. You know, I can remember you referring earlier to the losses in my life. You know, my husband and I have lost two children. We have a son, Matt, who's 31, and then we have a Daughter, Hope, who lived just six months, and a son, Gabriel, who lived just six months. And, you know, I can remember being at church after Hope's death. I remember being there one Sunday. You singing that song, you know, I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Hmm. Forever I'll love you. Forever I'll stand. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can do that. Hmm. I don't know if I feel that. This is why we need the Psalms, you see, the Psalms give us words that we don't always feel, but we aspire to. It's like they plant them in us. They spur on our souls and spirits to move in that direction. Uh, The Psalms help us. They they give us the want to, to want to praise God Mm -hmm. when maybe we don't really have that want to. And to cause us to thank Him when we don't feel that. And to cause us to love Him when... We're not sure we can trust Him. So, you know, the the Word helps us to do that.
0: Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word.
1: I think the other thing, Hunter, as I think about it is, you know, whenever you suffer, whenever anyone suffers, I think we all have the same question about what happened. Why? What are you doing, God, right? I think many of us can tend to, when we ask that question, why? For many people, that they're looking for a circumstantial answer to that question. Meaning, okay, if I believe at least that God has promised he's going to do something good, that he's causing all things to work together for the good, then we can sometimes think, okay, well, I'm going to look around and look for something good that like wouldn't have happened except from this loss, and then maybe I can accept it. So we look for circumstantial. Oh, so God, you know, he, he did this through that, so okay. Other people have a very philosophical approach to trying to get an answer to the question why. Well, God does this in the world, and then this happens, whatever. In the midst of my life, I was looking for a scriptural answer, Mm. What can I see in the scriptures that will give me an answer why? Because, you know, many people will say, we just don't get answers to why. Or you can't expect to know until you see Christ. But actually, I think the Bible gives us lots of answers. I mean, it's interesting to do a study through the Bible and see how many times, especially in the writings of Paul, we'll see this happened so that this. So it's like a cause and effect statement. This happened so that this. And it's showing us purposes for suffering. But as I search for an answer to the question why, I found it in Genesis 3. I look at Genesis 3 and yeah. I see this curse that was put on the serpent and the curse put on the ground and how this curse is going to impact the man and the woman. There's going to be pain in childbearing. And this is not simply the pain of labor and delivery. This is the pain of birth defects and this is the pain of children who walk away from the faith and This is the pain of parental struggle. I mean, nobody who's a parent will ever (laughs) not believe that there will be pain in childbearing, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you ask me, you know, why have I had two children who were born with this fatal metabolic disorder that they had? I will say to you, because sin entered into this world and impacted everything, even my genetic code. And that, to me, is the foundational answer to the question, why, in in terms of cause. Hmm. But more often in the Bible, the question is more about purpose. We ask, because the answer to why, right, it can be both. It'd be like, what caused this? Or for what purpose did this happen? In fact, remember in John 9, Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth, and then the disciples pull him aside, and they're like, okay, Jesus... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they're asking him why it happened, but they're, they're speaking in terms of cause. They want to know what caused this. In fact, they've already decided what caused it. This man is suffering because of sin. They just don't know who sinned, and they want to be able to point the finger at whose sin it was, right? And, but listen to how Jesus answers their question. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that— hmm the work of God might be displayed in his life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they're asking what causes, it. And it's like Jesus takes their head heads in his hands and turns it toward the future and toward purpose. He's saying, put your focus on the purpose for which I want to use this, which is to put my glory on display. And I just have to say, Hunter, you know, seeing that has, over the years, just made all the difference. In believing, okay, because I'm in Christ, I can hold on to the fact that my suffering is not random and it's not meaningless, but God is doing it to do a work, a sanctifying work in me. He's intending to put his glory on display in the world through my life. He's intending to to use it to make me a person who's able to comfort others. He's teaching me. He's training me. And he does have good purposes. It's not that I have to see him in my circumstances. It's that I see him in the scripture and I see him in my own life and believe that that is what he's doing
0: hmm. We're having this conversation on the heels of Thanksgiving just before Christmas. And Nancy, we were doing the kind of the cliche thing at our family gathering where you go around and you say what you think you're thankful for. And a lot of the people that were sitting around the table were saying, thankful for good health, thankful to be together. That's not what I could say this year. Having lost my dad, experiencing the greatest measure of unhealth—like he he died—and then additionally we're separate. And yet, uh, my answer was exactly what you said. Um, my hope is in the resurrection. And my hope is not in this life. It points to eternity. And so, you know, you were really shaping and helping me think about that as we had our conversation back in 2018 and getting a framework for like, yes, things aren't just going to be restored, but they're going to be even better. Like we can look forward to those things, not just because they're going to be what they once were, but because they're going to be even better than they were. It's been so wonderful to hear you talk about what you've learned, even about heaven, since God you know, began to give you that eternal perspective when you did lose hope and you wrote your first book. And now he's got your, you know, writing books on the new heavens and the new earth and revelation. And so I'd love to hear you talk about some of the things that you've learned through your study, maybe talking about what it's going to be like for us to be in the new heavens and the new earth, and maybe some things that have continued to give you hope as you're journeying through this life with your eyes fixed on eternity. Mm.
1: Well, I think the best part of your question there was, you said, you know, what it's going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, the thing is, I think once again there, we have all these specific questions. And honestly, you know, I've got some friends in ministry that I feel like venture out to try to say what certain things are going to be like that answer the questions we have that may not be supported necessarily by scripture, not that they're anti-scripture, but they're just maybe a little not clear enough for me to even for me to say them out loud at least. But that doesn't mean that the Bible isn't telling us anything. When I think about, especially revelation twenty one and twenty two, which is, you know, of course, this beautiful picture of the new heaven and new earth, you know, it's very poetic language. It's very symbol laden. But what really helps me is to think through, the primary imagery that John uses in Revelation 21:22 and didn't think about what is what what is the nature of the new heavens the new new earth being indicated in this so i think there's like five big themes that run from beginning to end of the bible that culminate in Revelation 21 and 22 that help to give us a picture of what we can anticipate oh
0: I'm so excited. (laughs) You like it? All right. So
1: the first one, he uses the imagery of marriage.
0: Hmm. If you remember
1: Mm -hmm. right there at the beginning, it it says that John looks, he sees a a new heaven, a new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And throughout 21 and 22, we have all this imagery of bride. And so, you know, the previous chapter, a couple of chapters before that was the wedding supper, marriage supper of the lamb. Mm -hmm. In chapter 20, you know, Jesus, the warrior Jesus does away with evil. And then you have here at the beginning of chapter 21, the consummation finally of this marriage. I mean, you and I right now are in an engagement period. We're waiting Mm -hmm. for our bridegroom to come, Jesus. And the day is going to come. that's pictured for us numerous places in Revelation, but really, you know, right there at the end, especially he's going to come And then comes the consummation of the marriage. And that's what we read in Revelation 21, 3. This loud voice from the throne says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. And he will be their God, and they will be his people. And he's going to wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more pain. I mean, there is the consummation of the marriage. And we continue reading. We we see that we're going to be face-to-face Right. And so what is the new heavens and a new earth going to be like? I got lots of questions, but I can tell you one thing. We're going to have an intimate relationship with God like we have never experienced. I think of it as being the intimacy that we've always longed for, but never been able to achieve or maintain. Hmm. Don't we all want to be closer to Jesus? At least we say we do, but there's so much about us that hinders us from having that, that kind of intimacy. And so that's one thing from that imagery of a wedding, a bride. We're going to be married to him forever. It's going to be the happiest marriage of all time. Death will never do us part. So an intimate marriage. The next image there in Revelation 21, is that of sonship or an inheritance because it tells us what the sons are going to inherit. And then it tells us what all of those who've remained in, the sin, in their sin are going to inherit. So there's a sense of this land, this property. If you think inheritance, think the book of Joshua. Think of this being a fulfillment of what was pictured in the book of Joshua. Remember, they, they moved into the land, and then Joshua goes through each tribe, clan, family, You get this land, you get this land, you get this land, you get this land. I mean, you get kind of bored with the long list of all the peoples and names and what they're going to, but think of that in the new heavens and the new earth. It's our greater Joshua Hmm. and he's going to lead us into this land and he's going to say, Hunter, this land, Wow, this is yours. And you're going to say, all of this for me? Really? This is going to be your inheritance. And think of that in terms of land, this sense of a home, of a connectedness.
0: That's what I'm thinking. As somebody who's moved so much, I'm like, I'm finally home. 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 But think of how
1: the Old Testament Israelites, like the worst of all nightmares was to lose their property. Right. Right. To be blotted out from the land is this phrase we use in the Old Testament. Because it's like an inheritance in God himself to be a part of his people. And so when I think about this land we're going to inherit, it, it's that sense of being at home and being welcomed and having, being a part of things and having a part of things and being settled. And so that sense of being at home and being in the family, being cherished as sons and daughters of God himself, that is at the essence of being in the new creation, right? The third big imagery that he uses is that of a city. Now, I think what's challenging in Revelation is, you know, we've got these pictures of walls and foundations, and we think of cities in terms of a location and buildings and roads. I think what we need to think about when we read about city in Revelation is think about community, people. Like it's very interesting in this city in the new Jerusalem, They come in from four different gates. To me, that's a picture. People are coming from north and south and east and west. Hmm. This is a multicultural, multinational city. It's not going to be monolithic. It's not going to be just our tribe, (laughs) just our people. It's going to be made up of these people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's going to be the glory and the joy of it. I mean, when I think about... Like, we're getting in the gift-giving season, right? And I'm like, I don't need anything. Don't buy me anything. You're going to have to return or whatever. Like, my joy at this point is, like, if you're going to give me a good gift, I want it to be an experience. And to me, the best experience are with interesting, enjoyable people, yeah. right? Meaningful conversation. And um, just – and throw your head back laughter, right? So when I picture this new Jerusalem as this city and all of these people coming in, it just pictures to me. I mean, like the greatest yeah. joy of being being with your people. Yes, and laughing and eating and enjoying each other. And so to me, that's a beautiful essence, right? There is one physical essence of it, though, too. That, that idea that it has that it has walls. I think that's talking to us about the security. Yeah, Think about the insecurity we all deal with right now in so many ways, right? We're financially insecure, physically insecure. But this this city, there's going to be a security here amongst God's people and in God's presence himself that I think is communicated to us. The fourth image is that of a temple. Remember this part in Revelation 21. We're given the measurements Mm
0: -hmm. of this new
1: city. And it's like 100 cubits by 100 cubits by 100 cubits. In other words, it's the same dimensions as the most holy place of the temple. Why would he tell us that? It's telling us that the new creation, the most holy place in terms of the place where God dwells, it's not going to be a little cube in a tabernacle or in a building made of limestone in Jerusalem. It's going to expand to the whole of the earth. The whole of the earth is going to be the most holy place where God's presence dwells. I mean, that really gets to the heart of the joy of the new creation. Is that vivid, immediate presence of the glory of God filling up every... There's no dark corners where evil or unholiness hides. There's no place we run and get away from him and just do our own thing He's pervasive. He is present. I mean, that to me is a beautiful essence of the new creation. And the final one is a picture of a garden. We get to Revelation 22. Mm -hmm. And what it describes, it describes, you know, a river that runs through it. And, And there's a tree of life like there was back in Eden, except now the tree of life is expanded. It's on both sides of the river. And instead of having just one kind of fruit, It has 12 kinds of fruit, and it doesn't have just one kind of crop of fruit a year. It has a new crop of fruit every month. So it's this exponential abundance. What is that telling us? It's speaking of the intensity of satisfaction Mm. in this new heavens and the new earth. You and I are constantly dissatisfied, aren't we? I mean, I'm not just speaking for myself, am I? And imagine all your listeners, I mean... Absolutely, like, can never be satisfied. I mean, as soon as the Christmas presents, you know, as soon as the the paper is put out in the trash can and the gifts go in the closet or wherever, you're just kind of like, really, is that it? Is that is is that all? Right? But the very atmosphere of the new creation is going to be abundant, unending, pervasive, satisfaction. I mean, just like try to savor that on your tongue, you know, kind of like a lemon drop. I mean, just that satisfaction. That is such a beautiful picture. But so then it says, you know, this, this tree of life. And it says that its leaves will be for the healing of the nations. And there's something about that one that always gets me, Hunter. The healing of the nations. There's so much hurt that we experience individually. There's so much hurt we experience universally and here is our ultimate hope and this is going to be what defines our lives into eternity future mm-hmm. what we can count on is being healed and whole and satisfied and secure and holy and having this intimate relationship with Christ and enjoying His provision to us. And Mm -hmm. you know what? People might want some specifics. Maybe they want to know, will their dog be there? Or maybe they want, you know, those kinds of questions. And I just, (sighs) I get annoyed with those kinds of questions because I just think that denies what is revealed to us about the essence of what we're going to enjoy.
0: There have been seasons of my life, I've confessed this on the podcast before, where I don't find myself particularly yearning for Christ's return, I think that's a gift of suffering is that we can't escape it. We can't escape yearning for it. But if we aren't yearning for Christ to come back, what should this tell us about ourselves and what might you encourage us toward?
1: I would say, what's your diet? Most of us these days, if you you compare how much time we spend watching cable news versus how much time we spend under the word in the scriptures for ourselves. No wonder we're focused on the here and now Mm -hmm. rather than what is to come, right? Those things have the ability to sap us of joy and hope and peace. And it's not like we want to be uninformed. I'm talking about balance, you know, of input. I think as you read the scriptures— Just take note of how future-focused they are. I think it's easy to read over in the scriptures, Mm -hmm. easy to ignore. It's constant pointing forward. Yeah, so I told you I was was working on Revelation, which which actually, when we think of Beatitudes, we think of the Beatitudes in Matthew, right? The Beatitudes there. Well, Revelation has Beatitudes. It Mm -hmm. has seven blessed are those statements, which is kind of fascinating, right? But it caused me to even look back at the ones in Matthew. And I had never noticed before. If you look at all of those statements, blessed are those who, whatever, whatever it says that then you know, think about what it'll be like. will be called the sons of God. We'll inherit the earth. You know, there's some already to those things, but they're mostly not yet. Yeah. We'll be called the sons of God. That's what I was describing from Revelation 21, right? You get your inheritance. You'll be called a son of God. We'll inherit the earth. When is that gonna happen? It's not gonna happen to me today. I mean, I inherit in terms of I have a belonging, I have a stake in it, but it's far future that I'm going to inherit the earth, right? So those are the kinds of things we, we read the scriptures. I think so a lot of times we just don't have eyes to see how future focused they are, mm-hmm. that they're constantly wanting to set our focus toward the future in what, in what God is going to do in the new heavens and the new earth. And... You know, and, and not that that doesn't begin now. I mean, all of that makes it, it makes a difference in how we live now. It makes a difference. When you really believe you're going to be fully satisfied there, you can live with some discontentment discontent, now yeah, and not grumble about it so much, right? If you really know your future is secure, you can live with some insecurity now because you know, ultimately you're completely secure. So all of those things, they speak back into our present to change how we think and feel about our present now. Well,
0: I have been so encouraged just to see, even at a distance, you know, Nancy, I know you, I've met you personally, but I didn't know you prior to uh, having interviewed you and watching the way that you continue to grow in your knowledge of the word has been such an encouragement to me. I'm studying Philippians right now and Paul, you know, is writing to the church at Philippi and he's talking about how are to follow the example of faithful Christians. And truly you have been that to me from a distance and I know I know you're already saying, well, you should see me on my day-to-day, you should you should this that and the other but truly I have to tell you, your pattern of growth through the scriptures, even at a distance, has ministered to me and encouraged me to study the word um, with—just to ardently study the word and to be able to communicate more accurately, the hope that we do have, because this has been such a service to me today. So obviously, studying the Word is probably going to be our biggest practical tip. I also want to give a plug for your biblical theology workshops, because you help equip other women to be able to study the Word and to be able to uncover its truths for themselves. You have biblical theology workshops that are going to be resuming in January this upcoming year, 2022, and so many other wonderful resources. But What is one practical step or resource for listeners that you would encourage them to pick up or to engage with if they are desiring to grow in their understanding of what we've talked about today?
1: Well, I wonder, Hunter, if people would do what I was just talking about in terms of wherever you are in the Bible, maybe you you go once through it, you know, with your regular approach, maybe, you know, looking for what it's telling you about God and mm-hmm. looking for ways you're going to apply it to your life and looking for what it's telling you about the person and work of Christ. But maybe add to that, you know, print out the text that you're studying that day and go through it and just look for phrases that point you forward mm. What? that are very future-focused and what it tells you about where to set your hope in the future. So I'm thinking about think maybe you're in the book of Hebrews, and you're in Hebrews twelve, you know, and it and it's speaking of Jesus there, and it says, "Who for the joy set before him, endured the cross." Now, maybe your first read through, there's a lot, there's so much there, right? But you think to yourself, okay, so this was Jesus's focus. What, what was what was at the heart of that joy that he was looking forward to that enabled him to endure the cross? Because you know what, maybe those things could help me to endure the difficulties and the hurts in my life. Mm-hmm. And as you think about what was Jesus, what was the joy set before him that enabled him to do, endure the cross? It was redemption. It was resurrection. It was reunion with his father. And you know what? Those things all have import for me, right? Yeah. So I think that that kind of thing might be just one idea to nurture our hope. So print out the text and circle some of those things that help you to look forward and then do what I just did, whereas you don't read through it quickly. Just kind of try to tease out the implication of some of what you're reading and relish it.
0: Hmm. And then talk about it to somebody else so that it kind of gets impressed on you. Absolutely. And that's been such a service to us today. Certainly, one of my simple joys, Nancy, is getting to learn from you. Thank you for letting me have the chance. Uh, and you know this because we've come on Journey Women before, but we have historically asked a simple question. And that is, what are three of your simple joys? But I'm going to change it up on you this time because this whole series is about knowing and loving God. So I would love to hear three of your simple joys when it comes to knowing and loving God more. Mm.
1: Well I think one simple joy is the grace of of being both a lifelong learner mm. and the but the grace of being a not a good learner and by that I just mean there are so many things Hunter I feel like I should be further along in hmm. than I am you know I should be better at prayer consistent hungry prayer than I am. Hmm. And so a simple joy for me would just be that there's grace for me. Hmm. I mean, that doesn't make me not want to keep pursuing becoming better at that. But I'm grateful to know, I was thinking this morning, I was lying in bed and thinking about a certain situation and praying for it. And I I just said, Lord, I'm just so grateful to know that when I don't have the words to pray, the Spirit groans, utterances for me right when I don't even have the words I mean that is an incredible grace I think it's an incredible grace to have access to so much good teaching and preaching Mm -hmm. I go to a small little church in Franklin, Tennessee and I got to tell you, Hunter, we have the best preachers. Oh, my
0: goodness. You do. We've had, I think, Dr. David Filson. Isn't he one of your pastors? Oh, he's from my former
1: church. But yes. Oh, okay. okay. We, we just had dinner with him last week. Had the best conversation. That's so, so great. Fun. He's been on the show before. And he's helped me so much. But the the little church I go to now, you no, know, this last Sunday, Ben Griffith preached. An Advent Mm. sermon from Isaiah and just the way he handled the text and got to the gospel and showed how we all are longing for the way home uh, to Christ and that uh, he's come to make a way to himself. And you know, just so I know a lot of people throw a lot of mud on the church, and certainly it has its faults and more than just faults, right? Failures profoundly. But I'm just grateful for the church. I'm grateful for my church that I can go to week by week and sit and take in a feast of the word and of the gospel. Thankful for my faithful pastors who do their work in the word through the week to then be able to present it to me. Praise God. And then I'm just, I'm thankful for good friends who come alongside me in ministry and come alongside me in life to you know do ministry with me to just do life with me, to laugh, but that those things aren't necessarily all separated. I mean, that's the beauty of being brothers and sisters in Christ, right? It's all integrated, this ministry that we do together and this just enjoying life together and laughing together and raising our kids together and vacationing together and having meals together. It's just a beautiful thing to be in the family of God and have brothers and sisters to share this life with.
0: Mm, And certainly it is a family and all of us have an impact on one another. I think that's been one of the wonderful things that I've learned through my journey with the Lord is that what I do impacts others and what they do impacts me. And you have certainly impacted us today. And we'd love to hear from you. Who is it that's had a great impact? Not necessarily the greatest. I know you couldn't narrow it down to one, Nancy, having had so many wonderful influences in your life, but who's had a great impact on the way that you personally, know and love God.
1: It is hard to nail it down to one, but I'll I'll, I'll mention the one I went to visit recently. And that is Sue Johnson, who was my BSF teaching leader for seven years. And uh, I had known her before then. She was actually at our wedding. Her husband worked at the same company David and I worked at when we were Mm. married. And so I knew her. And I just honestly, I just would never have guessed she could teach the Bible. And I moved to Nashville, and she was the BSF teaching leader. And I went and visited, and I was blown away. And over seven years sitting on the front row, I watched her. I began to think, wow, what she's doing is so significant. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: I had this publicity business, and I was working with all these big name authors and everything, which maybe people thought was a, you know, would be the exciting thing. But I just watched what she was doing week by week, and just watching how the Lord was using the word in my life and people around me. And I was like, I can't imagine doing anything more significant than that. Hmm. So she just had a huge impact and you know what I saw was it wasn't about her big personality. You know, it it wasn't even necessarily about speaking skills. I mean, I'm all for using personality and I'm all for developing speaking skills, but it was just her time spent in the text and preparing and then giving it out, praying it through saturated with prayer and believing that God would use his word to work in the lives of those who are listening. And he did in my life. And um, so she's very special and important to me.
0: Oh, praise God. Surely you have followed in her footsteps. I have sat not on the front row, but only for lack of opportunity and listened to you teach and felt the same way. So Nancy, thank you for serving us by joining us on the Journey Women podcast and talking about the new heavens and the new earth today. It has been such a joy to have you on the show again.
1: Well, thank you, Hunter. Bless you for all you do to encourage all of your listeners. It means a lot to a lot of people.
0: We pray that this conversation with Nancy causes you to lean into the hope that we have in eternity. As you know, this is our last episode in the Knowing and Loving God series. It's been such a joy to get to learn alongside you guys via Journeywoman this year. Thank you for sharing what you've learned with us. We loved reading your feedback about specific episodes that minister to your heart, like this one from Tiffany that says, during the episode with Megan Hill on being conformed to the image of Christ, I was so challenged when she talked about giving God the glory for our sanctification and growth in faith. Another email from Carly said the Knowing and Loving God series was the perfect way to prepare our hearts for the season of Advent that we are now in. I left each episode feeling challenged and encouraged to turn my eyes to see Jesus. Thank you guys for allowing us to journey alongside you, even at a distance. We are so looking forward to doing that again in the new year. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Journey Women podcast so you don't miss new episodes releasing in March of 2022. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Can't wait to see you here next year. Merry Christmas.